Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 4 of The Growth Garden, our podcast dedicated to cultivating your career progression and personal growth. I'm your co-host Kevin. Hi, and I'm Nikki, and today we're thrilled to welcome Nina, whose journey through headhunting did an MBA and is now flourishing in consulting at EY. Nina, welcome to The Growth Garden podcast. Thank you guys. Happy to be here. Nina's career has taken her from Finland to China and to the UAE, where she's currently living. She's done her MBA at Halt International Business School in Dubai and is now making waves as a manager in the business consulting department at EY. We're excited to delve into her story today. Yeah, we're very eager to learn about your career transitions and your experiences in different countries and how you've navigated various stages of your career journey. So Nina, we have a tradition in this podcast, even though it's only episode four, where we want to get to know you a little better. Very traditional. (laughs) So we'll start with a little introduction icebreaker. You have 30 seconds to give us one fact about your career, anything you want to share, and one fact about your personal life that could spark interest for our listeners. Let's say that my current job working in in business consulting at the time four years ago when I made the transition was definitely a dream come true. And there was a lot of doubt leading into it. So that has been a quite pivotal moment in my life. And what to tell you about my personal life? Well, I have a background in cheerleading. So like competitive team sports as an athlete and also as a coach, which I think has been quite good foundation in terms of like learning accountability at a young age. Wow, that's pretty cool. (laughs) Thanks for sharing. I think that's really interesting. Also doing cheerleading on like a very high level at a young age. I think that's a a great introductory fact. Just to delve into it now, can you tell us a little bit about your early career days in HR and headhunting in Finland and how you actually got into that career? Actually, I'm going to have to uh, correct you a little bit there. I studied in Finland, so I did my uni in Finland. I did my undergrad in business administration in Finland, then moved to China and actually my first proper job. So I started with an internship after a couple of years of language studies. And then my first proper job was actually already in Shanghai. I majored in leadership and organization and then got an opportunity to work within headhunting and recruitment. So that's kind of how I got started. So you got into that career because you were headhunted? Or like, oh no, you recruited? Oh no, no. I was just like very humble and like started off with a non-paid internship in an executive search firm after finishing my Chinese language studies. And then after six months, I'm like, okay, it's time to get paid. And then through like the Scandinavian network, ended up working for a Scandinavian kind of HR consulting and executive search firm as well. So side question, do you speak Chinese? I used to. It's so embarrassing. But after eight years of zero usage, so not anymore, unfortunately. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. Very cool. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure you can pick it up again if you'd want to. So what prompted you to move to China then, if that was actually your first job? Well, I always find this a little bit embarrassing, even though it's not. Life is not just about career, but to be brutally honest, love. I followed my university boyfriend who had a big dream about moving to China and asked me to go with him. And I never really thought about moving east. I always thought that I would probably be heading out to the US. But then, I don't know, I was just literally like, I never thought anything less that might be an exaggeration, but I was very happy to make the jump when the opportunity came about. And I was like, look, why not? Fastest growing economy. I'm a business student. 
let's do it. Sometimes you just have to follow your heart. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so from moving to China because of, of, of your first love, or maybe not just the first, <laughs> then moving to the UAE, what really made you choose moving all the way to the UAE? I'm on the wrong podcast right now, but... <laughs> I feel like I'm repeating a pattern here, but yet again, it was a decision with a partner this time, not for a partner. <laughs> this time around, it was more career driven. So my partner at the time was actually doing his master's at Halt in Shanghai and then had an opportunity to rotate to uh, Dubai. And within days, you could like see the sparkling eyes and like the just the pure happiness in his voice like this place is pretty amazing you have to come check it out obviously coming from finland i had my let's say reservations about the middle east obviously never having to been there either so actually it was a really good thing that i got the opportunity to visit during that one week visit i ended up getting a job offer through a contact and even though i didn't end up taking that job it was very clear that the opportunity and growth was in that market. So after four years in China, I was quite happy to try something new. And also, I guess in China, I always felt like because of the language barrier, regardless of how good I my Chinese would get, it would never be good enough to be fully professionally proficient. And that would kind of impose certain mm -hmm. limitations. So it was really the career opportunities that I saw that the market had just doing something new, just experiencing new market, new culture that really led me there. In addition to having someone who was highly motivated to make the move as well with me. Well, I think it's actually interesting because not every move has to be career driven. And if there are other factors, that's also really great to hear. And I think it's also good for our listeners to know. Mm -hmm. And then the fact that you actually made this leap and thrived in different environments is also fantastic. So well done on, on everything that you've done and achieved already. I mean, it's been an interesting journey, to say the least. And I guess the learnings and the experience you gain from moving into some into market and just like something completely different. So I don't know if there is anything much more different than going from Finland to China, where they have no people at all and all the people in the world and like how the culture and people are wired. And then again, to the Middle East, which was something completely different again. So it's definitely been like very enriching experience. No, I, I can imagine. And going back maybe just to your MBA that you've done at Halt, is this something that has kind of impacted your career trajectory and your career decisions that you've been making to the state besides moving countries? Is what you have studied in your MBA really what you're doing now or how has that kind of impacted your career? Um, 100% super pivotal. Like there's no way I'd be where I am today without my MBA. That's certain. So just for, for the record, I studied, I did my MBA in Dubai. When I first moved to Dubai, I was still working in the same field in executive search. And then through my employer at the time, I got the opportunity. They were sponsoring some of part of my MBA and they were giving me the, the time and the flexibility to actually study. So I did that in an executive format. So full-time study, full-time work, literally sign up away my, my life away for two years, but one of the best experiences I've had. So my path, as I kind of alluded earlier, the whole getting into consulting was not a given. So my, my path has been a little bit different. That's now my second career after six years in, six years in executive search. And typically you start fresh out of school, fresh out of uni, and you start as an associate or consultant and you work your way up. However, mm -hmm. I had quite a bit of work experience already. And then to make that transition into new field, 
a little, a little bit more senior was not exactly walk in the park. So without the MBA, there's no way I would have ever had that opportunity. So it definitely was the foundation for this second career. You already mentioned that you've, you've obviously had a journey of getting into EY and then also progressing in EY, but can you tell us a little bit more about what it was like starting out as a consultant and how you also navigated your way up to where you're now as a manager in the business consulting department? Yeah, sure. I would still kind of emphasize that the whole progressing within EY has been such an easy journey compared to what it was to get in, because to get that opportunity that someone takes a chance on you when it's not in an entry level takes a solid plan, but also a bit of a lock on the way. But in terms of within, so first of all, I joined January 2020, which was a month before COVID hit. And I was absolutely terrified. It's a new job that I had a lot of confidence that I would do well in, but had no clue what it actually means. And then I was like, okay, last in, I'm going to be the first one out. And I was very lucky that EY had a very human-centric culture, so they didn't actually cut anyone. I guess also being in the region where the growth is there helped. But the first three months of the probation was like probably the scariest time of my life. And obviously being new to the field as well, I don't think I slept in three months because I just wanted to make sure that I'm always on the clock. I'm always delivering above and beyond just to make sure that if push comes to shove, they don't get rid of me, which luckily they didn't. And then obviously in the beginning, it's like any other new field or new job. It's a very steep learning curve because it's not just about solving problems for your clients and developing solutions and frameworks and whatnot. It's about the core consulting skills as well. So there was a lot, lot to learn. And the first two years was less sleep, quite stressful, but also very rewarding because then when you kind of manage to climb the hill, things become a lot more comfortable. But I felt yeah. like... Coming in at older age compared to like some of my peers who were senior consultant, I was a senior consultant when I started, I felt the pressure. I'm older. I'm on the same level as a bunch of other people who are way younger. I need to fast track. I was also very lucky to find some colleagues who were very passionate about mentoring. So I would say maybe as a small advice, it's really about surrounding yourself with the right people and being very selective. At the end of the day, you have a lot more control of your own career, even in the new field, a new company, that at least I would just say yes to everything and I would say no to no one. But then it's just to really be mindful of the people that you trust and who you lean mm -hmm. on. And then even at the early stage, it's okay to sometimes say no and make sure that you take control of your own career path. So a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, being mindful and really making sure that you surround yourself with the things that you're interested in, you know, healthy individuals. And that's about it. I, I think it's interesting what you said, because when you switch careers often, it's like, okay, I, I have to now cram in so much knowledge. So you're just kind of let, let me learn as much as I can, as fast as I can. But then as you progress, things obviously get easier and it's nice to then be rewarded for the hard work that you put, put it in at the beginning. And it's true what you said also about surrounding yourself by, with the right people, because I can just draw back from my personal experience. When I was in a law firm, I did have people around me who were very like determined to help me and push me and be there for me. And these are the people that I now am so grateful for because they elevated me and they made the, me the person that I also am today. I think this is very, very valuable. 
your master degree was quite a big help when you started in consulting, but do you think that your background in HR and headhunting contributed to your success in consulting? Were there any skills that you had or developed that you were like, oh, this is super useful now also for my new career path? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the cornerstone of uh, any career change. It's all about those transferable skills. It's to catch 22. How do you get a job that you have no experience in, right? And that was my biggest fear at the time as well, because I was like, okay, I love puzzles. I love to build things. I'm very analytical. I know I'd be good at consulting, but I've never done the job. How can I convince someone to give me that opportunity? And it's really the way you package your experience. So you need to speak to people. You need to break it down to what the new job look like. And even though I haven't done it in that context, what are the transferable skills that or experiences that I have that would translate well into this new role? So in my case, I was in executive search. So I had a lot of senior stakeholder management as part of my job. I'm constantly on the calls and interviews with CEOs and other CXOs. I'm managing that client relationship. I'm managing those candidate relationships because at the end of the day, you also have to sell the job for the candidates. And it's all about that storytelling and managing those senior stakeholders. And I think that was probably one of the key skills that have made me successful because now I'm very comfortable when it comes to presenting to our clients, whether they're like CEOs or his excellencies or even the ministers and whatnot, I've already done that. So I was able to fast track and get more responsibility because I was already so comfortable in that part of the job coming in. And obviously that's a big part of consulting is also to sell what you're, you're offering. So it's important to have that skill. So it's great that you were able to transfer that skill from your old job into your new job as well. Yeah. Nina, you've been touch basing a little bit on your fast track strategy, as well as the fact that you've had mentors along the way at EY directly, but can you share some key lessons and strategies with our audience as you have succeeded and are succeeding, progressing within EY that got you there? What's some key takeaways for someone who works in consulting? It probably applies to any job. So if you want to progress, you need to kind of do the job above yourself already. And you need to provide evidence that you're ready by taking things off the plate of your manager or whoever you're reporting to. And obviously that's where mentor comes in or plays a big part, because how would you know what those things are if someone is not telling you? So I was lucky enough to work with people who are very passionate about coaching and growing and developing people. With that knowledge, then you just have to put it in practice. Obviously, you jump around with, you work with different people as you work in different projects and you just apply that same mentality that I am trying to make my manager's job easier. I'm asking for more responsibility. Obviously, you don't want to do that unless you're genuinely ready because you'll just shoot yourself in the foot. But as soon as you are, there are different ways of preparing yourself. So in consulting, for instance, maybe the last step is that you're presenting to the senior client stakeholders. Maybe you can, before that, present your work to more junior, maybe your project manager from the client side. Before that, you can present to the partner from EY side. And before that, you can, as a junior, you can present to the engagement manager. And then the more senior you grow, there's a lot of more aspects to the job when it comes to supporting proposals and sales. There's a lot of admin things that are involved. There are internal uh, things in the company 
such as internal projects that you can kind of put your hand up and volunteer. Obviously, time is your um, most limited resources as a consultant. So it's just striking a balance between being really excellent at your job and then doing all these extra things that are not expected at the same time. It's very true. You always have to do your core work first before you do all the extracurricular to boost your portfolio or just generally your experience at the company, right? But it's, it's something that applies not just to consulting, but any other company in trying to leverage your exposure in terms of uh, more senior stakeholders, the more confident you get and the more senior you get yourself in the company, but also learn and reach out and communicate with those stakeholders and not just stay and stick with your level in, in the company and you work at. Can Thanks. I just add one thing? Yeah. Because like you kind of alluded to that and that's probably been like something that I'm the worst at, which is building your personal brand. Having said that, it's super important. Mm. It's all fine and well to do a good job if people and multiple people across the organization don't know that you might as well not to, you know? So it's really that you need to be proactive and actively manage your career and reach out to people and ma make noise about yourself. Obviously not in an obnoxious way, but you need to make it known what you've done and achieved. And obviously if some companies or cultures are a bit more uh, open to that type of chats, if not, then you have to just find a workaround and like, like I said, volunteer for other stuff that gives you that face time with other senior stakeholders mm -hmm. within the company so that you can kind of make a name for yourself. Absolutely. <laughs> Flipping the, the coin a little bit, can you share a challenge or obstacle you've faced in your career and how you overcame it? This can be in your current job or something that you've um, experienced in the past. And what did this experience teach you really? What is kind of the long-term learning for you having overcome that obstacle? Okay. I would still say, and I hope I don't sound like a broken record at this point, that getting into consulting, making that career change was probably the biggest challenge that I faced. And like I said, it's how you convince someone that I'm good at a job that I haven't done and I have no really real evidence of. And to be honest, I think this applies universally and it's literally just about relationships. So you can apply to a million jobs on LinkedIn and you can be the best pro profile, but that hardly gets you anywhere unless it's through a referral or someone who knows someone who knows someone and who recommends you. So that's basically what I did. I obviously did my homework on what are the skills that you need in consulting. Like I mentioned, how can I uh, sell myself to fit that profile as much as I can? But then it was really reaching out to people, everyone, you know, and so one thing is obviously you need a plan. You need to have a structured plan and you need to be very intentional about what are you going after and why. And this was the hardest thing for me was to ask for help. Obviously, you, you, you want to be mindful about how you go about it. But typically, people are quite happy to help, especially when it comes to international markets such as Dubai, where everyone, unless you moved with the job, has been in those same shoes trying to find a job. And it really takes that right chat with that right person who has the right opportunity. But it's just a lot of networking. So I was just lucky enough to be put together with my former employer's previous candidate who had another friend who was the same nationality, who used to work in another consulting company, who then referred to me another colleague who wasn't even in consulting anymore. And then her and I ended up having lunch. And just by that lunch, she was convinced enough to refer me to a partner at EY. And my interview process, I'm not going to say it was easy and it took a long time, but I think the partner had already been convinced because of someone that they really trusted and used to work with and they trusted mm. their judgment. And because the referral came from her, 
it was mm. easier way in for me. No, that, that's a very good learning because I think like never underestimate the power of, of your network and, and the, the random network you might actually make along your way. And this can be in your private space as well as obviously in a professional space. So oh, thanks for sharing. That's, that's a great. Learning. Yeah, I would probably say never underestimate the power of your network. But also I feel like you always keep on referring to yourself as lucky. But I think you also did so much prep work and you did so many other things that led you to that opportunity. I don't know, there's a saying that's like opportunity and preparation lead to luck. So it's hard work led you to the luck that you then received. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's also quite interesting because you have done quite a lot to reach the stage that you've, you've then ended up getting the job, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. You're right. No, it was a lot of hard work. It was a full time for a, quite some time. You've been talking now about a lot of international experiences. So we've obviously heard your journey in Finland. We've heard your journey in China and then your move to the UAE. Obviously, all of these places are so culturally different. Do you think these moves have shaped your views on your career growth and also on your personal development? Can you maybe talk about how adapting to different environments also shaped you and how you learned from that? I mean, it was a culture shock both times. China was my first country outside of Finland that I lived in long term. And obviously, like the language was impossible. The logic, how people operate and are just wired is completely different. And I was so frustrated. I was exhausted all the time because you just don't understand what's happening around you. And I think it was a pivotal moment when someone was like, you know what? Your life gets easier when you stop asking why. And I'm like... That is brilliant. That is brilliant because like the moment you don't ask why someone is coming elbow first in when you're trying to fit into the same subway cart, it's just the way it is. And you just have to accept that you're at their turf and within limits, you just have to accept that you're the visitor. So that definitely helped. My MBA was also quite interesting because it's very intense. Everyone has a full-time job, but then there's also these super intense four-day weekends and you're studying all the time. And those four days, you're just in school around the clock and Halt being very international, I think we had 80 different nationalities as part of our cohort. And every mm -hmm. single time you're put into a group to solve something tricky, when you're tired, when you're not at your best, you've just been exposed to a ton of new knowledge. And then you still have to find a way to work in that group and get to the finish line, right? And you're working mm. from people from all around the world. It was very frustrating at the time, but I think one of the biggest learning experiences that I've had because you're just forced to adapt. And I guess when you stay in your home country, people are a little bit more homogeneous. So tend to think more or less alike, whereas sometimes you just get such wild different perspectives. So you're just a lot more adaptive. You're a lot more flexible. You're a lot more understanding and it just forces you to develop empathy. I think mm -hmm. that being exposed to a lot of different cultures, as long as you are open to it, it def definitely develops a lot of empathy, which mm -hmm. I would say in an international workplace is also quite valuable to have. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you actually understand how to deal with different people at different times is also extremely valuable for a company, for yourself and in any situation, pretty much. And and maybe just to touch base a bit on the fact of building a professional and personal network in these new environments that you've been experiencing so from Finland to China to the UAE has this been something that you really from the get-go realized that you should leverage to build a network in all these environments and then taking this in your own favor a, a fact of your career growth so 
Finnish people not exactly known for their small talk skills and being social and comfortable with people who are not their neighbors or their core family or friends. So that was definitely an adaptive period for me. And in China, business development was part of my job. So I had to go out and about and go to networking events and essentially sell myself, sell my company, but sell myself in the process. And that was pushing me so far out on my comfort zone. But at the end of the day, that's how you make business. That's how you end up making friends. It just takes that very intentional effort, both professionally and personally. So moving to the UAE, at that point, I realized friends are so important and having good friends when you're abroad, you don't have your family anymore. So you have to build your new family. And again, you have to be very intentional about making sure that even if you're a little bit tired, but someone invites you to say yes and just go and have those chats because you never know if you're looking for a job, if you're looking for a friend, you just need to put in the effort until you're settled. And I mean, I guess it never stops. Given that we all live in countries that are not our home country, I think we probably can all absolutely agree to that statement. Thank you for that. Uh, now, moving on into a little bit of a different direction, uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit around mental health. So given that you obviously work in a very high pressure environment, how do you manage your stress and how do you ensure that you stay focused and perform at your best? That was actually a journey that I did go through because first it was a fear of losing my job. Then it was a fear of not being good enough. And then it was the ambition of wanting to move up. And then you do, it's quite easy to lose yourself and just keep saying yes, like I said, and keep pushing for more and more and more. Obviously, we all know that's not sustainable. So the way I learned to manage it is with anchors. I call them life anchors. So certain things that are just really for you, that are, the, let's say, the core or the cornerstones of your routine. For me, it's sleep. I make sure that I get enough sleep. So that's the last thing that I would give up on if I can. Then second, it's gym. If I'm able to get eight hours of sleep and I'm able to go to gym, let's say four or five times a week, I have a good balance. So you just have to figure out what your anchors are, whether it's reading the newspaper, getting an hour for yourself in the morning before you get on with work. You just need to not forget yourself, even when it's very high pressure, stressful period. And obviously we also can't be in a high pressure, 12, 15, 18 hours a day type of routine for a long period. So at some point you just have to say no and say, okay, my, my health and my well-being comes first because no mm. job is worth burning yourself out on, quite honestly. I do like the concept of anchors. We haven't heard mm. that before. And that's quite important that you say, I have anchors. Mm. So these are the main things that you focus on and that you are like, I am not budging when it comes to my anchors. Thank you for that analogy because... That is definitely helpful for people who might feel overwhelmed or lost to be like, hey, actually, why don't I build my priority list or my anchors and see if they can reel me back in. You've already touched base on, on some of the habits and practices you do outside of work in order to nurture your mental health and your overall well-being by exercising. I think you're an avid CrossFit fan as well and having a social life as much as you can outside of work. But is there any really go-to practice that you would want to share with our audience And also, especially in consulting, where you travel a lot, presumably you're away four days a week in a different country, in a different city. How do you then incorporate this in your daily life? And how do you deal with that not being maybe in your physical own four walls every day? Yes, like I said, sleep and fitness, those are the two key things. 
And then obviously I'm on the plane or it's taxis, like you're commuting to your client site a lot. That time when I can, when it's not about work, I try to listen to podcasts or listen to audiobooks or make that kind of a moment where you can not stare at the screen. You can close your eyes if you're back at the car or on a plane and you can just listen to and do something that is really for you. I'd say that's probably a third one. Mm. Just to make something that fits your routine, that gives you a more substance or value that you're doing it for you, mm. not for your job or stuff. I think that would be a third one. Yeah. We round off our interview with a quick fire round, which is some random questions we ask you, and you just have to give one answer in order to get to know you a bit better and also touch basing on a few things that we haven't discussed so far. So is it coffee or tea coffee, you prefer? 100%. Are you a morning person or a night I'm Definitely old? a morning person. So maybe not 5 a.m. club, but 6 a.m. club. Like that's my routine. But by nine and up by six. Wow, that's impressive. I'm definitely a night owl. <laughs> One book that changed your life? I would say, I don't know. Well, it had a big impact at least. Something called 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, which is basically a book about how kind of keeping control of your own success and happiness, but also some of the less desirable behaviors and traits that some people might have. And for me, it was really become mindful of people in your life and through that also become a bit more selective of the people and the company that you keep. Letting people go was not something that came easy to me. I, I tend to be like, loyal to my own detriment. But with that book, I actually managed to identify individuals that were genuinely not good for me and kind of sounds brutal, but cut them out. Everyone should read that book, I guess. <laughs> and then lastly, what is the best advice you've ever received? I would say one would be not to have expectations. And this is an ongoing struggle for myself. But by having mm. expectations, you just kind of set yourself for disappointment uh, and or failure. You can't control mm. anyone but yourself. And it's just to make sure that you lead a life that you can be happy with within your control. And then, I don't know if I can say this on a podcast, but to be more selective of the fucks you give. Not everything is such a big deal. I used to get like wired up super easy. I would get stressed. And at the end of the day, the, the fucks you give, you just need to be very selective of what you let get to you or what is worth stressing over or like really caring about. So th mm -hmm. those two are probably on the top. Very true. Good. Yeah. The, yeah. The fucks you give is, is something we all should be yeah. preaching yeah. because especially in a moment of pressure, you might feel this is the end of the world or this, the pivot of your career, but in it normally turns out not to be and it, it's something you shouldn't be worrying too much just a funny story on the topic so it was from one of the podcasts that i listened to and there was some guy who was oh i used to get so angry so easily i would get pissed off and you know tailgating or people who are aggressive drivers mm -hmm. like that would get me the most and then one day i just changed the nar narrative and i was like okay that guy's being an asshole behind me but maybe he's just about to shit his pants and that's why he's up on my ass because he just really needs to like go to the bathroom and just because you never know what's going on in people's lives and sometimes mm. it could be something other than just being an asshole mm. and that kind of relaxes your emotional charge and you're well let me just get out of the way you can always change okay. your thoughts and feelings but you can't really control what other people do exactly. right so really 
only thing you can do is change what's in your control. And that's the most important thing. If anybody says something or does something, these are things that are completely out of your control, but the way you react or the way you think about it after, or the way you take it to heart or you don't take it to heart, that's actually what really matters for you personally. Getting to the end of this podcast, we have two questions for you. So given the career path you've taken, what advice would you offer someone at a career crossroad who's uncertain about their next steps? I think lead with passion. You're going to enjoy any job if you actually care about it. It needs to be something that you enjoy. So at least for me, it took a while to really figure. I knew that executive search, I, I was done with it. It wasn't for me anymore. But I, I was like, okay, so really bringing it back to the drawing board of what drives me, what inspires me and motivates me when I feel like I have the most energy. So what are those things that you're really passionate about and drive you? We all know we had those horrible temp jobs as when we were st students and whatnot, and you're dreading that you have to go to work. I don't have that. This is the first job, the first job I think that I've had that I don't actually mind. I'm happy to go to work, you know, and it's such a game changer to quote unquote, not hate your job, but actually enjoy it. So I think that's a key step to take. And then it's just when you figure out what you want, then to be very intentional about it and not to be afraid to ask help. Thank you for that. And one last question, if you could change one thing in your past, what would it be and how would you now do it differently instead? This is a tough one because of my life philosophy is very much about everything happens for a reason. So my intuition is to say I wouldn't change anything just because where I am today, it's a lot of randomness when you look back that led me here. And I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be for now. Having said that, I do have one regret because I've always been quite ambitious and hardworking and all that. And I did not finish my master's back in Finland. So I finished all my studies. I got my undergrad. I did everything up to a point of writing my thesis. And that's when I left to China. And I was like, well, that's fine. I can write it there. No, I can't. I cannot. You are too distracted. You have other things going on. The internet was not great. I had gazillion excuses not to. And over time, it just becomes harder and harder and harder because it was not something that I was so excited to do either. So obviously it doesn't matter now because the MBA and I got the opportunity to do that. But for the longest time, that was something I was like, God damn, it's unfinished business. So finish what you start. <laughs> good lesson. Good lesson. Finish what you start, but also don't have any regrets. No, that is it for today, uh, Nina. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you for sharing all your insights and valuable advice uh, with our listeners. And obviously, we hope our listeners enjoyed this episode of The Growth Garden. I hope to eventually have you back, Nina, on the podcast if you're venturing into a new career or obviously seeing your girl with any wise. And yeah. Um, Thank you guys soon. for having me. And yeah, I'm happy to come back on my third career a <laughs> couple of years time. We can't wait to have you next again. <laughs>